Well, hello and welcome to episode 157 of The Cool Room. An excellent episode coming up, if I do say so myself. We're going to be welcoming back Evan from Bright Brewery. Uh, he's been on the show a few times and uh, always full of entertaining stories. And Bright Brewery always producing some excellent beers, uh, some limited releases uh, and some new twists on their core range. You'll get to hear about all of them. But if you want to be able to taste the beers that we're discussing, head on over to our Shopify. If you look up Cool Room Shopify on Google, uh, you'll be able to track down those beers. And if you enter the code word BRIGHT, uh, all with capital letters, uh, when you make your purchase of the BRIGHT 9-pack, you'll be able to have the right beers in front of you at 20% off. So that's going to mean you're paying about $55 for nine fantastic bright beers. Uh, we've got all sorts of limited releases in the, as you'll hear. There's the 7.7% lemon, myrtle and bottle seed imperial taste pastry sour. Easy for me to say that we'll be uh, experiencing. Uh, there's the pale ale, there's the lager, there's the pumpkin pie Halloween ale. There's the spicy beagle, mango, lime and chili sour the uh, Black Diamond, Black IPA, and many more. Uh, head on over and grab them with that discount code, 20% off when you enter BRIGHT in capital letters and purchase the BRIGHT 9-pack. Uh, we really hope you do that. It helps support the podcast uh, and means that you can make the most of this episode. Uh, taste as you are listening as Evan explains the stories behind the beers. We've got some more great episodes coming up soon. Uh, very recently, we're out at the Williamstown Beer and Cider Festival. We've got about eight or nine interviews coming out of that, which I'll package up into some fun little podcasts so that you can enjoy all of the fun of that day. A big shout-out to Shane and the team for inviting us along and helping us to have an awesome day out there. We've got Lost Watering Hole coming up uh, in the cool room. Uh, that's our next Thursday night online masterclass. Come and join us uh, wherever you are around the world. Just look up the Zoom room details on our uh, Facebook. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram so you don't miss out on any of those things. Uh, and then we're going to be over into December mode. Uh, all sorts of fun things lined up for that. But stay tuned for news on that front. Uh, for the moment, let's go over to Mr. Warren Wu and myself uh, in the Zoom room, uh, kicking things off in our usual haphazard way, as you will hear, uh, the usual level of confusion from Mr. Wu to kick off the proceedings today. The, so, uh, pulling aside the curtain of podcasting, did you actually clap? I didn't, I didn't get a, a marker there, which was kind of weird. Like, you, uh, yeah, the... Uh, it, totally off track it took us all of 10 seconds to, to <laughs> the reef but there we go when you say it took um, us it took us all of 30 seconds you really mean it took you all of 30 seconds to yeah it took track. me all 30 seconds um but yeah i'm good the world is good everything is good apart from a potato famine but uh heaven from, from bribery will expand on that hopefully a little bit later <laughs> But we're really, we're super lucky to have Evan from Brightbury come on and join us. And we've, we've had them, we've had Brightbury on a few times, which is amazing because we kind of see some development and evolution, not only, yeah, of, of a brewery, which is a staple in, in kind of, in country Victoria, country Victorian tourism, but also in the, 
in the craft beer scene and has been for a long time. So it's it's great to have you on board. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us, Evan. No, thank you. This is um, visit three. So I think we're almost, David might have the dates, but I think we're almost year to year to year now. So uh, it's, it's really good. close to that. It's, um, yeah. it's sort of become a little annual tradition and it sort of makes me feel like the end of the year is looming around. And I think officially you've been on episode 69 and episode 101. <laughs> If you want to, if you're listening in and want to go and check the archives, we try not to cover exactly the same territory every time. And so, if you're wanting to hear sort of the origin story and the story about how Bright moved through uh, the last couple of years, go back and check out those episodes as well. And um, I should say, make sure you have the chat function open. Welcome to uh, there's obviously all of our regular crew and a few new people. If you have the chat open, then you can type your questions in and we can ask them on your behalf as we sip these beers together. And um, there'll be time for audience Q&A a little bit later on in the evening. Um, so to kick us off, so Evan, have you, this is an interesting one. Have your, has your job title changed every time that you've come <laughs> on board? Because I don't I think, think so. Yeah, I don't think export manager was 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 that attached to your title last time you were on uh it wasn't attached i was doing it um and then the it felt like after you know quite some time and investment in doing our export i was like i probably should just own that title right um so yes no i i, I yep you're right i think every single time we've changed i think our sales manager national and now it's export so that's the growth that's that's the phrase yeah Love it. Um, Jake, you're getting paid a whole lot more, I imagine. <laughs> well, I'll decline to comment. <laughs> <laughs> Twice of zero is still zero. <laughs> um, Jacob, you, our, the, the often silent co-host, is, uh, has thrown a question in straight away. Where have you imported where have you exported to? Uh, where are you exporting to now? Has it grown? What's going on there? I yeah, don't think that so, was actually his um, question. I think he was just calling you Evan everywhere. But I might. Be oh wrong. yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I misread that completely. <laughs> you really just dived into that. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> um. So since we last spoke, uh, currently we're exporting to New Zealand, um, Hong Kong. Uh, we've done a little bit of Singapore, but we are in the midst now of. Um, looking, uh, we're currently talking with uh, some Japanese distribution, Vietnamese. Um, I had a meeting today about some possible uh, UK. Um, and then uh, in conversation I never thought I'd have, uh, the UAE. Um, so, yes. Um, so we're currently walking down that path. Uh, they came to us. And it's always surprising what happens in this industry. Absolutely. Um can you sort of give us like I don't know, where and how do they sell alcohol over there? So it's it's defined, I guess, by you know territory. Um, but there are, uh, I believe, my understanding is the hotels basically are servicing um, the international uh, contingency that comes over. Um, and yeah, they've been looking at uh, premiumization of product over there. And um, yeah, it's just a conversation that sort of spurned on for a few other things that the brewery were doing and we met the right person seemingly and um yeah I'll, we'll see I'll, we'll, we'll check back in 12 months and i'll let you know how this has progressed um on my 2023 podcast with you guys and yeah 
Um, we should we should talk offline about some of that, but I, I have had a beer at the Hyatt in Dubai in my time, so there you uh, go. Yeah, there you go. Long time ago now. Um, okay, so without going over no, although we don't need to go over the same territory because we've done this, we've done two times previously. Go back to episode <laughs> sixty-nine, episode one hundred and one. But um, so beautiful, bright, uh, yes. yeah, really great spots. Lots of outdoor. There's one of the centers for Victorian outdoor activities: the hiking, mountain biking, skiing, all that other stuff. Beautiful site. What has changed in the last year since we've had? since we've had a chat, like with the brewery and with the town itself. Have you, yeah, give us a little bit of an insight into, into what changes have been going on. Yeah, so I think um, every podcast I've done with uh, you guys has been during a lockdown. So this is the first one out of lockdown from memory. I might be incorrect. We might be a couple of weeks sort of around. But um, obviously the last 12 months we've had freedom again. Um, so Bright itself uh, is, a once again, a thriving town. Um, yeah, we're sort of, we're getting back to normality, um, like everybody else, experiencing just an absolute boom in terms of visitation. Um, we're seeing numbers that, you know, really we weren't seeing before the pandemic, which is great. Um, obviously, there's that push post-lockdowns and, and post, you know, sort of the COVID world, although I shudder to say we're not in the COVID world anymore. Um, that, you know, people are really coming up and experiencing uh, the Northeast. And we're, anecdotally, we're seeing a lot of new people coming up. Um, I think that's a mix of, and I would, I'd like to think it's a mix of, you know, interest in the region um, because of, you know, just wanting to get out and experience uh, regional Victoria. And also, you know, just in terms of our brewery, um, we're seeing a lot more people that have tried the product for the first time at home um, or at a bar and then are coming to the brewery where, you know, for majority of our tenure in industry, it's always been the opposite way. It's been people's first experience has been at the brewery. So what we're finding now is a lot more people are actually migrating themselves up and they're making that trip to visit us, which is, um, it's really fun. It's, it's, it's nice to see the things that we're doing on the other side are, are really working. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always confused at which river or which rivers. The ovens. The ovens, all right. So the ovens river, yeah. You guys are situated on the ovens river. Um, yep. And, and so is still, is, is things pretty much the same there? There was an empty block next to you. So we... Yeah, so that's that's um, actually the, the brewery's piece of land and we host uh, events on that. Uh, yep. So we've done a little bit of renovations. The, uh, it's now referred to as the paddock, um, as I found out last week. Someone made a decision on that. Um, but no, so what we're doing, that's, that's our outdoor dining um, and sort of beer garden area for the summer. And there's plans to develop that over time, but currently what we've been doing more of, especially coming out of lockdown, um, we've started putting events back on that space so this year we hosted um our first what we call picnic in the paddock where we had kim churchill come and um play uh, a live set um and we did a big stage and it was a big show for us and then we finally came back with our darker days festival so for those not familiar it's our uh, midwinter festival we've been trying to run it since 2019 uh we tried to reschedule it five times in 2021 i, I feel like we've discussed that a lot in three years <laughs> yes, yeah yeah frustrating stories you know around so we did manage to make it happen this year um which was great i think we had somewhere around 1300 people and um, which is the biggest crowd we've ever had we were basically at capacity for the space we have um 
we had Bob Evans headline it, which was uh, huge for us and anyone from the late 90s who was enjoying Australian music. Um, I dare say anyone under the age of 25 had no idea who Bob Evans was. Um, <laughs> so our younger staff didn't seem overly enthused, but anyone really in my age, age bracket upwards loved it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm looking forward to the podcast comments because it's going to be all of these people from Australia who totally get it. And then all of our new Norwegian and Mexican listeners, shout out to Mexico <laughs> this week. No idea at all. We, um, go and jump on the band camps or the YouTubes and find out. Yeah, check it, go on Spotify. It's, it, was, it was great. So, um, no. Uh, yeah, so that was, that's, you know, basically the, the big things have been happening for us outside of that for the brand. Um, we've obviously talked about our expansion overseas um, into a few new markets. We've been doing a lot nationally, um, but probably the big thing is we took on, oh, we, we finally uh, finished what's been a long road of our um, repackaging and our new look branding. So something we've been working on um, as time goes on for our core range um, to just, I guess, bring it into the modern age and, and really define who we are as a brand. So that's been something that I never want to talk about ever doing again. It was just two years of that cloud looks too fluffy and that mountain looks too pointy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, now we're sort of, we're, we're, we're at the end of that. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's been sort of onwards and upwards since the last podcast. Uh, that's awesome to hear. Um, as per usual, I've pretty much drank the first beer before we've had <laughs> a single word of that on it. It's, it's, it's our, my least favourite tradition that we have here, Warren. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the first one is like, it's, it, yeah, it usually is, it's usually. No, no, let's not, let's not waste time. You Let's hear about it. So we started with the Bright Pale Owl. Um, yeah. Hardcore range, uh, classic style of, of Pale Owl. Obviously, mountain not as pointy on the yeah, way. It, yeah, I don't think the mountain is. Yeah, I think the well, there's not pointy mountains in Australia. This is something I've learned. There's mountains kind of round here. They don't sort of spike. Mm. Um, which was news to me. <laughs> I like. Old yeah, mountain. that's really true. Yeah, because yeah, it's the geology. It's how old our country is. They they round off because it's it's just really old and they rode away. Um, <laughs> Which is your erosion talk with Warren Wood. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, the pale, tell us about the how do you sell the pale owl, Evan? How do you sell the pale owl for the UAE? Uh, So, for history's sake, on this, this is actually the newest beer we've introduced into the core range. Um, So, anyone who might be familiar with uh, the brewery, and for those that aren't, since the inception of the brewery uh, in 2006, up until essentially September of this year, we had a core range pale ale um, in American style called Blowhard. Hmm. Um, for any of you who ever want to um, get into the liquor industry and pitch to any major retailers, don't call a product Blowhard. Um, <laughs> just, it's a real trapping point. Um, so it was named after a local uh, mountain called Mount Blowhard. So it did have reference to the, um, the brewery, but what happened was uh, this beer in particular, Bright Pale, that we're, you guys are drinking now, or in Warren's case, is finished. Um, this came about, uh, in 2021, we partnered up with uh, a climate, climate activist group called Protect Our Winters, who work in the ski fields, um, to produce a beer for them called POW. And the idea behind that was to come up with a more sessionable, easy drinking pale, um, something that was a little bit lighter in flavor, 
a little bit more modern, but utilizing local ingredients um, and sort of highlight that for the local ski fields. Uh, we designed a beer, we brewed a beer, the ski season opened and on day one it closed. Um, and then all of a sudden we had all of this beer that we had to do something with. Uh, so we made the decision to basically re rebadge it as Bright Pale Ale um, and make it a Northeast exclusive. Um, initially the launch was with proceeds uh, going directly to Bushfire Relief. So we sort of flipped it from climate uh, activists because that wasn't the, the key anymore uh, for the snowfields because they went open. We went to our um, the Bushfire Relief as obviously it's very pertinent to our area. And what we found was people started drinking Bright Pale about three to one on Blowhard. Um, and it naturally, probably over the course of about nine months, we really saw that we had something special here. Um, we just saw that the staff in particular had knockoffs and they were going for that. And that really drew me um, to go, okay, if our own team are really going for this product and we have a very interesting and normally on our own tap range, we might have 12 or more beers and that's the one they're going for and they're knockoff. I think we've got something special. So we discussed it for a while. We felt like with our new branding coming in, the time was right to retire blowhard. Um, it's like to say we'll never see it again. Um, it might come back in its own iteration or a special release, but we wanted to sort of modernise this pale, Australian pale. Um, as I said, it's utilising local ingredients, local hops. Um, it's meant to really be an expression of, of an Australian-style pale ale at 4% as well. It's a little bit more sessionable, which seems to be the trend sort of going forward for most drinkers. Now, so I actually think that we had this beer on in its previous mm. form in the pack last year. I don't think we talked about it at length, but I, I recall our friend Shana asking a question about it with her skiing hat on. I think she might mm. have been wearing a skiing hat at the time. Um, are there any changes at all, any tweaks that you've made to it over that sort of year or so since you first started, since making it? Uh, not overly, no. So the initial power, which you might have had a little bit of packaging on before we did the um, transition to Bright Pale, uh, same product. So this year when we did power, because the ski fields were open, we made an amendment to that. Um, so that one we we punched up a little bit more and we used some US hops to sort of differentiate it. Um, but this one is actually that original. So uh, I did my homework, which is surprising for me. And I, I spoke to our brewer today and I got a breakdown of the hops and what they do. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, the main thing uh, that he wanted to sort of highlight was that uh, it's got Galaxy and Vic Secret, which are grown uh, locally down the road from us. So the hop fields, the HBA, Ross Trevor hop fields are 15 minutes away. I think geographically we are the closest brewery to the hop fields in Victoria. Um, so, yeah, he, we wanted to showcase those hops. Um, the flavour profile they're bringing out is that sort of passion fruit, tropical fruit, and that little bit of floral as well that sort of comes through, which I think gives it a bit of a quintessential Australian pale ale flavour, whereas Blowhard was a lot more, um, a bit more malt backbone, um, quite more bitter, um, which obviously is in style to the American sort of tradition. Um, but we didn't feel like showcased our local products. And when you've got hop fields so close and you have access and, you kind of in this amazing region. It, it feels, you know, a bit more apropos to be using the products that you have next door. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that completely makes sense. And it's, I think it's really great because it ties into something we've we've said in the other podcast that Bright Brewery really is about the town and the region and caring mm. for those things. And I think that's a really lovely way to showcase a 
in another in another aspect at taking care of the, the like looking at the agriculture looking at, at, at the provenance of of the beer i think that's yeah that's terrific that sounds great um while we're just kind of touching on the the um kind of the rebadging the rebranding and your core range what are has there been other changes to the core range tell us maybe a little bit about it and and, and have you kind of have you moved things in and taken things away apart from the, the uh blowhard? yes so the biggest shift is um blowhard leaving um we probably every you know six or nine months have a conversation around um our beers our core range what they're looking like at the moment whether we think something's moving out because as, as you know consumers and, and people this podcast uh can attest ever evolving you know we, we've got to keep up and what was working two years ago might not be the same so um you know when i first came along the brewery for the first few years our core range looked very differently i joke that there's only one beer remaining from the original six that i took on um so you know when i started we had a different pale ale uh, we had a different lager in our core range we had a whip beer um, which we now do in the summer seasons uh, we had a porter, which now do the winter, so we don't do those year-round anymore. Um, we also had uh, a Belgian double, which I always think is the funniest thing to have in a core range. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, it sold fairly well. Yep, it's fainters for mugs asking. Um, we still have it available, but to say there's a lucrative market for a uh, you know seven percent plus Australian-made Belgian double is yeah, <laughs> no, it doesn't exist. <laughs> Is it, can, can I ask sort of in, in terms of not even talking about those beers specifically or how do you think the market itself has changed? I mean, you obviously must reflect on this and where do you think things going into summer? You know, do you see some trends there that people might be interested in hearing about? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty loud advocate for a product that we've just brought out um, and most people have uh, called me crazy, but the initial launch has done really well. So we've just brought out uh, 3.5% lemonade shandy um which honestly i probably a couple of years ago wouldn't have thought of myself but one of the trends that we've started to notice in market is seltzers um although i think them they're going to shrink in terms of producers the market's here to stay um what most breweries and we've noticed as well is that while sour beer still is you know a, a very prominent part of the craft beer experience and the production experience um it's definitely sort of in decline in terms of relevance to what it was. I think we, we hit its peak a few years ago and it's now starting to decline. And um, along with that, obviously no elk on low elk has become a market that none of us probably picked up two years ago. Um, there are a few breweries that got on early and I don't even know if they knew it was going to be what it is now. Um, so we looked at, you know, what are people wanting and what are consumers wanting in terms of our, you know, standard core range beers. Um, you know, we do two limited releases every month. They tend to be higher in alcohol. So we, consciously made the decision around, you know, just having slightly lower alcohol, um, slightly, you know, easier drinking styles as a day-to-day -day, um, products, because you can still get your fixier sevens, your eight to nine to 12% beers through the limited releases. Um, but then with Shandy, I've christened it the summer of Shandy. Um, <laughs> my theory is people that wanted uh, fruit and fruit flavored product were drinking sour beers because that was the conduit to fruit that they were getting. Um, and now, They've got other conduits in seltzer um rtds are now sort of starting to climb as there's the likes of bilsons who are doing an incredible job currently of sort of owning that market and craft beerifying um rtds 
that's where we see it. So I, I've christened this the Summer of Shandy. Um, I'm willing to debate people on it because I've had a lot of debate internally and externally about that uh, claim. But I do think we're, we're going to start seeing a bit more fruit-driven, less sour, low-alcohol products um, hitting the market over you know the next three to six months, especially as it hopefully warms up. I had, um, I grabbed, I accidentally picked up the Burnley Brewing, like this is a little off topic, but Burnley Brewing were with us a couple of uh, weeks ago. And I pick up their Rattler. Oh, so good. How good is it? And I think, yeah. you're, I think you're onto something. That idea of, you know, you still want a beer, but you want something with a touch of, yeah, touch of other we, pieces. We look at it as the starting of the middle beer. You're not going to finish on the Shandy, but what you might do is, um, if you had a big night the night before and you got to get back on it, it's a great yeah. starting point. It's going to get you in. Um, yeah. But also, the, you know, the image for us was uh, you're out at the beach or you're playing cricket and you've had a couple of beers and, you you know, you want to have that middle break. You want to have something to just sweeten yeah. the palate a little bit and then it gets you back in. It's great for that. So, you know, it's, it's not a beer that I expect people to get a slab of in a day, but yeah. you can put a four-pack back easily without sort of noticing, especially in a warm day and, I think we're not going to be the only ones to do it. And you talk about the Burnley Radler. Um, I've drank a lot of that. Um, I'm a sweet tooth, um, but I drank a lot of that. I was at a wedding a few years ago and that was one of the beers on. Um, And I'm pretty sure I drank the wedding dry. So (laughs) Nice. Now, can I say what I particularly like about this conversation is that you seem to be burying the next beer we're going to talk about even before we (laughs) (laughs) And that seems like a really sensible time to put you under the pump and move on to, our, to the second beer we're going to be taking. Go for it. The, the spicy beagle. Um, I love a lot about this, brother. There's a little bit, so there's a bit of tongue-in-cheek about a lot of what I'm going to say about these. <laughs> uh, mainly because we know who's behind it. We'll talk, but we'll get to that bit. But having said what you've just said, um, talk to us about why now is the right time for a beer like this. And then I really want to break this beer down and go through some of yep. the... Listen, as I said... The sale beer market's here to stay. I do think that there is a portion of the consumers that have moved away because it serviced their uh, flavour need they wanted and they didn't have other options. So in saying that, we definitely still have sour beer drinkers. It's still something that we're going to come out with. I mean, the next two beers are drinking a sour. So, um, you know, I don't think that that's going to end. Um, it's just about sort of the diversifying of, of craft beer. This one, we... You know, we launched this with the hope that um, it wouldn't be snowing in November in Victoria. Um, <laughs> you know, you just don't know, apparently. You just never considered that it would, would happen, I'm sure. Yeah, it's just it really wasn't a consideration. Um, so this one, obviously, you know, we'll, we'll probably get down to the, the nuts and bolts of why we did it. Um, but it was a collaboration with uh, our designer. It was something we'd probably been talking about for quite some time. Um and, you know, sort of looking at the brew catalogue and what we had available. And we, we sort of have a couple of repeat seasonals that we like to bring out at the same time every year. There was a nice little slot at the back end of this year where we thought it's going to be a little bit warmer. It's a good time to release this beer. Um, it still did very well. It just rained constantly probably throughout the weeks that we were selling it. So It, it took me a moment, but then I just realised it, yeah, Clint. Of course. <laughs> I've seen this stupid thing. <laughs> it's delicious, though. It's fascinating. Yeah, so um, what this this began as a um, uh, Clint uh, Pocket Beagles in the studio. 
I'm sure from the podcast, people are aware of who he is. Um, people he's a man who likes to make. So let's just give you, let's, let's do a 15, 20 second introduction of Clint. Because we oh, this is great. Who, he's going to be sweating so much when he hears me starting this. Um, <laughs> well, he hasn't, so, he hasn't got to join us tonight. So, you know. I think that was, I think that was a wise choice. Um, our, our messages back and forth tend to be more of me abusing him than being polite. <laughs> I'm sure that's most people. Uh, no, so Clint uh, Weaver is our designer. Um, his design studio is Pocket Beagles. So um, I hate saying it, but uh, a pretty prolific designer in the craft beer space in Australia. Um, does multiple different uh, breweries. I think he's got a meadery now, um, as well as a little sub-cocktail business he's running as well. Um, but Clint came on board with us, I think 2020, um, when we did our Oat Cream IPA Hype Boy. Um, as part of our sort of brand relaunch, we were looking to, I guess, you know, uh, refresh who we were and um, have a bit more fun with labels. I've always really enjoyed the art of, of cans and, and labels and beer. And there's a lot of fun you can have. And we sort of made the decision that off-brand was on-brand. None of our labels really look the same. Um, but Clint does have his own illustration style, which, you know, blends across them. And you can kind of tell who we are through that. So now, uh, essentially, he is our designer for our limited releases. I don't think we've done one without him for quite some time. And probably as close to a year ago, um, he reached out. Uh, he loves himself, as most people would attest. <laughs> um, and he had this idea for his birthday that he wanted to do a tap takeover for himself with only beers that he collabed on. Uh, and I didn't, we, you, I didn't realise the story was going to be this good. I'm loving it already. And it's very yeah. good. Yeah, it's very clean. So he wanted to have uh, his pocket party, he called it. Mm. Uh, he reached out to all his main brands. And initially, he just did a collab. And then secondly, when I started questioning it, it was, oh, I think this has an ulterior motive when he came clean, that it was all for him. So, yeah, he, he came to us. We said, yes, of course, let's put some ideas together. He had some atrocious beer ideas. I mean, just so much so that they're still mocked 12 months later internally and without him knowing. Oh, um, come on, come on. Just, what are they? My, my favourite one, which I'm still like, it probably wouldn't have been that bad, but I just couldn't figure out how we would have done it. And also we don't make that product, is he wanted a clear Bloody, Mel a Bloody Mary seltzer. Oh, that's... Look on what Warren's face expresses the thought in my head at the moment for people who are listening. I, I can kind of envisage how you might do it. But yeah, but we also don't make seltzer. <laughs> it's, yeah, I think he works at the brewery that does make seltzer, so I don't know. Well, he probably does. Then. They probably said they probably rightfully said no, like we did. <laughs> um, <laughs> so no, so uh, this came about. He, I think he was the one that sort of pushed um, the chili angle, the spice angle. Uh, I've had a very standard rule for quite some time in sales. Uh, no smoke, no chili, no wheat. Um, of course, Bright Brewery releases a wheat beer, a chili beer, and a smoked beer. Um, just to spice me at times, I feel. Um, but no, we, we look at that. And then uh, previously, we've done a, both a mango sour and a lime sour. So our brewer thought, bringing these three together, um, really compatible flavors. And I know, David, you probably want to ask some questions in terms of um, the breakdown of the makeup of the beer itself. Yeah, look, absolutely. But, but yeah, just guide us through, because I think the, the thing is that, you know, these could all be big, ridiculous, over-the-top flavours, but there's clearly 
an element of restraint that's being exercised here. And I think that makes all of them work. So you, you can taste all of them. So it's fun to yeah. go through them one by one. Yeah, so um, the hero, I guess, flavour um, is actually mango. So that's, you know, front and centre is the first um, one there. One of the things that we found with mango beers and, and mango sour beers is there is a tendency for just that little bit of astringency from mango um, with sour beers. It's, they're usually really fresh at the beginning, but the back just has this little bit of astringency that um, kind of ruins the refreshment. So to offset that, we brought lime in, um, which is great. We, we've been doing a lime sour for years. And it just, it helped sort of balance that out. And then the chili. So you got that sweet and sour and hot. It became this really nice compatible mix. Um, yeah. So uh, that was really sort of the, the concept behind that. And that, that's why we chose those flavors. Do you know what chilies are in it? And sort of what's, what's it look like? I do. I know that there was five kilos of Thai bird's eye chilies put in the whirlpool. Uh, so you've, you've clearly read your questions beforehand. I appreciate that. I have. I read the questions. <laughs> I... Uh, I might have gone, I don't know any of these answers, um, and quickly made a phone call to our head brewer. <laughs> I know, well, that's, exactly, that's exactly why we pre-show them to you, and um, a good opportunity for me to flog my son's um, chilli business. You can check out the cool room, the Shopify, and um, Blakey's got all sorts of chilies on there at the moment, including Thai bird's eye. So if you're a, you're a home brewer, then you could aspire to make a beer just like this. Well, I actually think that would be a pretty big ask of the average home brewer. Um, <laughs> can, you, can you talk about the process in the brewery? Because this is almost a classic example of the kind of beer that would be so tricky to make at home. You really do need experienced hands at work. And um, talk to us about what, even just what, when does the mango go in? Yeah, the, so, how does that um, work? so we the mango in during fermentation and it's a mango puree so um, it is it's all real mango we don't use any um fake additives in any of our beers that's a standard rule um that we have so everything is it's real fruit um essentially the the use of puree is to guarantee um the quality so um, as our brewer put it they puree the freshest and ripest mangoes when they do it so you will actually get all of the flavor um and with that it means you're not sort of yeah, going to the shops, getting a bunch of mangoes, finding, you know, this one's very flavoursome, this one isn't, which can happen sadly with mangoes. Mm. Um, it just brings out a better quality of that. And then, um, as I mentioned before, uh, the chilies went into the whirlpool um, and we got then for the lime flavour, we also put lime peel in the whirlpool as well. Um, so that's sort of the, the concept behind it, fermenting out the um, mango. Unfortunately, we've had issues before where fruit has uh, decided to re-ferment on us and... Uh, we have made uh, the very practical upgrades to make sure that doesn't happen again. Um, but it has meant that we're, you know, a lot more um, aware of the process and, and utilisation of fruit beers. We've done a lot of fruit beers actually at this stage. Um, so there's challenges with them, but, you know, I think at this, anecdotally, it's probably somewhere between six to eight fruit beers a year, um, all different styles of fruit. So our head brewer, Reed really has a handle on that. It's something that he also sort of took from previous roles when he worked at other breweries. Can I ask just, you know, if this is just sort of a completely unnecessary question, but tell me what the bottom of the fermenting tank looks like when this is sort of all, you know, it comes out. It would be a, wouldn't be the prettiest sludge. in the world. Yeah. Sludge. I think just sludge. Yeah. I mean, they're never, they're never pretty anyway, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. No, this, uh, from what he told me today, the smell was amazing when they put it in. Um, 
like being on a tropical holiday. It's just as soon as you start pouring it in, the whole brewery, and we have a, a very open space brewery as well. Um, so he said it just smelt of mangoes for quite some time, which everyone was pretty happy about. Um, we've actually just done a cucumber beer uh, a few weeks ago, and apparently the same thing happened there. There's the smell of cucumbers permeated throughout the day. So a cucumber sour, or what have you done with the cucumber? Are we allowed to ask? Again, we're doing sours. I've really shot myself in the foot by this. It's a cucumber and basil sour. Yeah. This is, so is this, I feel like the entire organization is responding. They've said, you know, Evan, yes, we're going to give you one beer, but everything else is oh, yeah. in a different direction. 100%. 100%. Now, coming into the summer months, um, we always do the sours. We, we probably haven't, before these ones, I think we'd had about a six month gap between sours. Um, but uh, yeah, as, I think, I think my team would kill me if we didn't have sour beer in the summer, to be honest with you. We've got a lot of sort of sour maniacs that if they didn't have it to either sell or drink, they'd be pretty angry. I can understand that. And when you, when you produce beers that are tasting like this, um, it would be bonkers not to be producing them. I, I get that it's a sour, but I've got to say, if you almost didn't have that on the label, mm. I don't know that I'd go that's a sour beer. They're... Is it just that sort of little bit of sort of... I think it's, you know, for, for something like this, mango is so sweet and it doesn't really, like, there's obviously a little bit of acidity on mango and depending on the mango you get. Um, but that sweetness is coming through and then you're balancing it out. Lime's naturally going to have acidity to it, which can be mistaken for sourness. Um, mm. But then the chilli has that little bit of heat. So I think when you've just got all these melding flavours, in terms of the product itself, that's, that's why you're getting that. So it has... A slight sour base. It's a kettle sour. It's not a highly acidic sour. We don't tend to do the big face inverters. Um, as a brand and as consumers that drink our beer, we are still a regional brewery. So we, we have fun. We have the ones that sort of go down the rabbit hole of craziness. But we do need to be mindful that a lot of uh, consumers that come to Bright, might, this might be their first craft beer experience. Hmm. So you've got you've to make sure that uh, consumers that know what they're after and know what they're drinking are getting that and they're having a good experience they're really enjoying the quality but you're not doing something that you know uh someone comes in they see mango beer they've had it before and it's it's so puckering it's so face inverting they're not expecting that from sort of our brand and that experience that they're like well i'm never going to drink these beers again or i'm never going to drink craft beer again um so we're trying to tee to that that point and especially when you're looking at something at four and a half percent alcohol it is more sessionable so you know the next beer we talk about it's a bit punchier but it's one that's it's going to demand a different audience consuming it and then almost going into it, you know you're probably getting more flavour too just based on the alcohol. That makes total sense. Totally yeah. Um, um, Warren Wu looks like he's got a question in his brain. Oh, no, I was going to say, I reckon, I reckon you and I had the same thought then. Since we've kind of just hinted at the next beer, would now be a good time to have a little break and, and clean our glasses and then go to the next beer? Well, we're back here in the cool room. We've had a merry little discussion during the uh, during the break that we've had here. If you're joining us in the podcast version, please come along and join us live on Thursday nights, no matter where you are around the world. We record at about 6.30 Melbourne time on a Thursday night, and you get to be part of the little discussions that we have uh, here both before and then during the middle of the break and then uh, after the show, all sorts of insights that you don't get in the podcast version. Um, and during the break, we've been joined by another eminent human being, a bloke by the name of Clint Weaver. Um, Clint, we've just spent a fair bit of time discussing you, mate. Evan's had a number of, um, uh, how shall I put it, 
pointed comments to make about you. You <laughs> genuinely don't know what he's been saying. Um, so before we before we get back to the to the beer at hand, um, what's it been like working with Evan at Bright over the last year or so? Because he's been saying, you know, you've been there for a, a few years in terms of design work for him. Tell us uh, your opinion of the spicy beagle that we've just been tasting, and um, but more importantly, tell us about spicy Evan. <laughs> well, I keep trying to um, not uh, CC Evan into emails uh, and just deal with Laura, <laughs> but he keeps. Why is that? Why is it? Because <laughs> Laura likes me. I think. <laughs> 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 no, um, <clears throat> Evan's. Uh, been um been good to work with i like people who do challenge me because quite often you know i can just get away with doing what i want to do um in terms of design work which is you know great in terms of fueling the ego and and i think most of the time you know i know what i'm doing but it's always nice to hear insights from other people and it does serve to uh increase well to uh better develop my own skills and and you know knowledge in the area as well so i do appreciate evan's feedback slash pushback with my ideas. <laughs> hey, Clint, just out of interest, what's the best beverage slash beer idea you've ever come up with that was knocked out? I think generally the best ones do get through. There's nothing. <laughs> been, uh, so no regrets, um, nothing that you really felt attached to uh, that's knocked back? Uh, no, I think most of the time the ones which haven't slipped through uh, or haven't you know gone gone to print uh, are probably for good reason. Um, and, well, and in that in that case, mate, you are you basically saying you're happy to give up the IP of the ones that haven't been made? <laughs> no, I got to sell them to someone else. So I can actually make some money. Bugger, <laughs> Warren! There goes our idea for a really good, um, you know, uh, clear yeah. bloody Mary seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> oh, I got a list full of beer ideas. Plenty of those. You've got a list uh, full of many good beer ideas, mate. You've got a head full of all sorts of great design ideas as well. Um, tell us a little bit about the can design while well, we've got you here. That you know was on was on the front of the uh, the spicy beagle, and are you responsible for the imperial pastry sour uh, label as well? Yep, yep, both of those. <clears throat> um, the spicy beagle was a good one, a, a collab beer. Um, <laughs> one of those ideas that, you know, I just wanted someone to make a chili beer for me and um, Bright was the first one to say yes, uh, which was good. And but because, By which you really mean a whole lot of other people had said no? Is that where we get? Yeah, a couple. <laughs> um, but uh, in, in tasting the beer, like I hope you're all happy with it. I was, um, I truly think it's like delicious. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, really, really good sour. So <clears throat> uh, that makes me happy because now Evan will probably have to rebrew it and see my face on his uh, can again next year. <laughs> no, We're renaming it the Spicy Bagel. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Evan's <laughs> declared the, the end of sour. So yeah. it's, it's all over for sours, apparently. He, no, he, he did work. design the Shandy, though, so I've given him a whole new revenue stream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, with the Spicy Bagel, because it was a collab, they sort of just let me do my own thing um, with it, which I was thankful for. And, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty representative of the way that I like to draw and design, just nice and fun and poppy and simple. Um, but, yeah, this was one of the ones where Evan did say it needs to have more fruit on the front. So uh, that was a secondary addition. 
And, and, talk, and, the, and uh, talk about the label of the lemon, myrtle and wattle seed Imperial Pastry Sandra, yeah. if you may. Um, yeah, another one that I really like and, and a, 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 uh, one of my followers on Instagram pointed out that I've developed a bit of a colour palette and two, these two beers were ones that he took side by side. Um, and I do notice that like sort of in hindsight uh, that I tend to go through trends of uh, what I sort of like. But with this pastry one, um, <clears throat> really like the design, try to make something a little bit more um, pretty and refined. Uh, sometimes I come across things that are quite difficult to draw in terms of they just turn out like poops uh, constantly and wattle seed was one of those. Uh, so the amount of times that I tried to draw this thing um, without it looking like a turd, uh, <laughs> yeah, more than I care to uh, admit. Is, is there blood in your stool very often? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ignore the fact that Warren asked that question. That's something I'll do later on. Can I, we've had this discussion with, with you guys uh, before, uh, uh, Bright, particularly in, in taking on board what you said before, Evan, about the notion of, you know, sometimes off-brand is on-brand for you guys. Yeah. But the, the Bright Brewery name here is... Tiny, tiny, you know, had, you know, is there ever a sort of discussion about how you put the branding and the label up there or is it, you know, totally cool with you guys that, you know, it's sort of tucked away at times? Yeah, listen, it's it's one of those ever-evolving sort of questions. Um, sometimes it comes down to the label as well. So uh, Clint can probably attest more to the components of putting a label together um, and he can probably talk to the creative process for us. Sometimes we'll send him a beer and we'll have a very obvious image of what we're after. And we can almost sort of find this is really what we're looking for. Or here's some inspiration. Um, pretty certain with Lemon Myrtle, we both just, uh, myself and Laura, who he deals with, just said, have fun because um, we can't think of anything. We're not designers. Um, and then he sort of brings it back. And I hate saying it, but majority of the time it's good and we accept <laughs> it and we like it. Um, you know, and then other times there's just those like little small things that, um, you know, maybe from a wholesale perspective, you're sort of looking at. Um, in terms of like, sort of the bright logo, I guess with these products, with, I find, especially the limited releases, they obviously we want to be pushing our brand and we want people to realise it. It's a bit of a catch me too. People that want to drink bright beers and are adamantly going out to buy them are probably aware that we're making these beers through whatever social feeds we have and things like that. So they're already, they're already searching out for them. They're already looking for them, already asking for them. Um, alternatively, we're looking for a new consumer that doesn't know our brand, um, but are looking for a flavor profile. Say they are really into sours at the moment, they're looking for a native or they're looking for something mango or whatever it might be. If we can make that the pop, if we can make that the catch, you still know who we are outwardly. So we're trying to, I guess, connect on both sides. If you look at the core range, it's a bit more prominent, it's a bit more obvious, but that's the product that I guess we're showcasing our brand narrative on long term whereas these are you know one by one they're always developing um yes we have a brand style um sort of format typically but as you know clint can attest it's probably more clint's design work is their the congruence sort of through it more so than the actual imagery itself um you sort of know it's his work but he has free reign to develop it depending on the product or the name or whatever we're sort of coming up with I think it's a really good description. I find this kind of conversation fascinating, but I think it's a really good insight. So many people who are talking about setting up breweries spend so much time 
themselves trying to figure out how to do the branding rather than actually speaking to someone whose job it is 24-7 just to sort of think about those things. It's, um, and, and, you know, Clint could probably talk to this. More often than not, the revisions that I will ask for I might send are purely a wholesale or a sales-driven thing. So um, he did refer to himself uh, only probably two weeks ago in a, a message chain to me as Picasso. Um <laughs> Um, uh, he said, I, I draw it like Picasso draws it. And I said, Picasso didn't have to do wholesale beer sales. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it's little things. You know, the imagery, as I said, it's, it's really, really good. It's those small little things. So it might be, um, you know, for a limited release, for the Imperial Pastry Sour with Lemon Myrtle and Water Seed, that needs to be the hero. More than the Bright Brand probably needs to be the hero, if you sort of understand what I'm saying there. Because the biggest fear is that someone would, who likes bright beer but doesn't like imperial pastry sours is going to pick that up because of bright beer and not know straight away. So, it, and then they're going to have an experience and it's going to be, you know, sort of down, downhill from there. So there's always sort of that balance between the design element and, and we try to keep that as authentic as possible. Um, and then the commercial sort of elements that need to happen, like fruit on fruit beer labels, um, as Clint seems to um, avoid. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've given Clint far more prominence than we would have given him if he hadn't just shown up. So, you know, well done on your branding, Clint, as ever. Pleasure to have you on. I want to get back to talking about this beer. We haven't sort of done one of these little thing, the things that we regularly do, which is let's do a proper tasting of this one. Can you tell us how it should look in the glass, what we should be getting on the nose, then what should we be tasting, and then we'll talk about some of the flavours that are in there. Yeah, so um, in terms of uh, the colour of the glass, you should be looking sort of like a pale lemon, which obviously plays quite well into the flavour profile. Um, you know, uh, even though it's got a, it's a pastry sour, it needs to, you know, have a, a fair bit of clarity to it as well, a little bit of fog maybe, um, with the flavour profile coming through. But pale, uh, pale lemon, um, a nice sort of like white head. Um, I tend to find that sours just naturally sort of dissipate that head pretty quickly anyway, just the acidity levels. Um, so while you get that at a start over time, that'll sort of come through. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's it's really for this one, it's about the flavour profile more than anything else. It's, it's such an obscure um, product, you know, in terms of what we make. We make typically, you know, 24 unique products a year. Um, that's kind of our standpoint. This is possibly... In the pitch meetings, one of the strangest, if not the strangest. Um, you know, it took a while to sort of wrap our heads around it. Initially, this was actually our Gab's beer pitch from our brewers. Um, so our assistant brewer, Stokey, um, he kind of had this uh, mindset um, going along with our head brewer, Reed, who uh, has a bit of a fondness for using botanicals and wanting to use native ingredients, something that he's really passionate about. Um, but Stokey had the concept of sort of recreating a lemon poppy seed cake. Um, mm. And that was initially the, the, the idea behind this product and the Gab's beer. Um, we decided to, we wanted to brew it. We didn't feel it was appropriate for Gab's. Um, you get a really small little uh, thing on when you go to Gab's and you, there's 200 beers up there. There's only so much writing. So I just felt like it was going to be far too long for people to understand and remember after about 80 beers. Um, but it was something that we looked at and we said, we actually really like the idea of it. It's, it's weird conceptually as a salesperson trying to say it out loud multiple times in a conversation was way harder than we anticipated. So well, just as I found early, early on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's it, but it, it really, the design came, the concept came from 
recreating that sort of nostalgia of that the lemon poppy seed cake and then you know the other side of that where we have another brewer that's really into botanicals and, and natives and things like that how can we utilize those to i guess create this flavor profile or something within that sort of flavor wheel um just as a little side note which yeah we rarely do on this podcast but what what was the gab's beer that you ended just just kind of as a as a flavor to what you put in in gab's uh what was the gab's beer you guys ended up um settling on so um we did we called it compost cookie uh but essentially it's for anyone you might have seen a similar beer uh, garage project do one called garbage cookie so yeah. it's a take on an american treat basically our, our brewer reed um grew up in america and he was saying that uh it's essentially a, a chocolate cookie with everything that's in the pantry thrown in so ours been a while since i've had to recite it so i'm trying to remember what it is it was um coffee coconut chocolate uh sultana pretzel potato chip raisin butterscotch vanilla i feel like i'm missing one or two it was essentially everything so yeah clint's got one there Holy um, shit, clint's got <laughs> yeah he designed it too um <laughs> uh, i remember last year david did ask me a question around i think was it the caramel stout we did last year? And you were asking about um, whether or not we had uh, crossed the line of IP infringement. Um, <laughs> we did. We did. And we did get a letter in the mail. Um, oh, that's, that's I, awesome. I think, I think it came a few months later. I said, we're now a real craft brewery. It's finally happened. Yeah. Um, did, did Clint feel a certain sort of, I don't know, Clint sort of wandered off, but there must be a certain level of satisfaction in that given his constant attempts to cross that line. Well, I think, you know, for our 2022 uh, release, Compost Cookie was the one that probably walked the closest line to IP infringements. Um, it's definitely not the Cookie Monster. We don't know who the Cookie Monster is. I've never heard of him. Um, <laughs> just news to me. All right, so I'm going to make a request, and obviously there might be difficulty around that. Is there any way we can get a copy of that letter? I've always wanted to see one. I've never... To be honest with you, it's there's not a lot, and not a limit. The, the, I guess it's the, the kind of the hilarity of corporate law that yeah. it takes time for these things to happen. And um, sorry, I can't say that the phrase, out, haven't you? <laughs> the, the phrase, the hilarity of corporate law, well, might be the best censure phrase we've had all year. I think. To, to be, like, this is the thing. Um, they move at a certain pace, which is yeah. what probably most industries work at. Crafty, yeah. not that pace. No, far more rapid. So. By the time the letter came, we're talking four months, maybe after production. Um, so I know uh, we were served a letter as was it was a collaboration with um, one of our retail outlets. They were also served a letter, um, mm -hmm. essentially asking us to uh, provide all materials. Oh. So any um, any beer that was left over had to be sent directly to um, the complainant, uh, along with labels, along with everything we had. Um, the best part about that is it's four months later. We don't have anything. I think uh, I think someone found four cans and might have just posted them as a bit of a joke. Jeez, um, I love it. Yeah, but but you know, by the time by the time it rolled around, it it was it was too far gone. We'd already we'd already moved past it. Um, we did, and this is a, you know this will be a little insight for you guys. We did have another beer coming out. Uh, I think a month afterwards. Um, which was probably again towing the line. Um, 
we quickly checked who the registered uh, lawyer was for that business. It was the same one that had just served us for the previous <laughs> one. And we made a very quick deviation from that design. Oh, I would have gone, I would have gone like, you know, the time frame that they work in now. We, we, we figured, we figured we've already poked the bear. The bear's kind of looking at us. Let's, oh, let's wait till it turns its head before we come back. Mm. Are you saying that out there, there is this great bit of can art that Brother Beagle did that we're never going to see that, you know? Uh, it's a, what we did was we, we basically went and had a look at how much change, changes need to happen before it. so there was there was a few minor tweaks that were made um to get us across that line uh but i think probably for that design we would have gotten away with it i don't think that would have flagged anything mm -hmm. but it was just at the time we'd already gotten on the wrong side of that uh ip lawyer and we thought let's let's just play smart here on this one but um yeah genuinely if you can find that letter i would love it like i just want, <laughs> i just want to see like the the yeah it's probably really boring really plain but i kind of love the idea or if or even better if you guys could produce a t-shirt i would buy with that letter printed on the front and like <laughs> kind of a bribery branding uh i'll buy at least four of them like uh, i did want to frame it and put it up in the office i don't think that actually ever eventuated but oh um, do it yeah, yeah. But, it felt like a real milestone moment for us it, it you know yeah. we've, we've been around a long time but it felt like we were a real craft brewery when that happened. Like it seriously, a short run of t-shirts saying we finally made it, and the picture, the letter on the front would I think I'll, I'll, I'll send you a design later on for a new t-shirt. <laughs> Let's do this. I'm I'm I'll buy one. I'll, I just outright will. Yeah, you take my money. Now, Warren, Warren, I know you love the hilarity of corporate law, but I can't help. <laughs> <laughs> that we have got off topic here. Just oh, we so have. But uh, so, so let's keep on. Let's just go off topic in a completely different direction. Uh, Evan, tell us about mystery beer. What's been happening with mystery beer? <laughs> David's thrown his hands in the air. Yeah, Warren's he's off quite often. It's like he. <laughs> it's quite yeah. It happens fairly consistently whenever I'm involved in anything that David's also involved in. So, uh, those who don't know, Mystery Beer uh, was a product that we released initially in 2019. We've done three or four releases now, I can't remember. Um, the idea behind it is the only person who actually knows what the beer is, is the brewer. Um, it's a genuine fact that no one in our team actually knows what it is. Um, wow, yeah. No one, in produ no one else in production. It, but I feel like every time I hear it, I'm just really surprised, but it's great. Yeah, we, we put a real thing on it. Um, you know, even the way that the ingredients are coded back into our system um, are done in a such a way that we will then revert them back later. So they're in the system so we can manage them, but then it's not, I guess if anyone really wanted to look at it, I can't imagine anyone does. Um, mm. But we, we did take the secrecy pretty high on it. Um, yep. We haven't done one now since, geez, 2021. Uh, yeah. I think it's been 21, maybe 2020. Um, I'm trying to remember, I think. Yeah, we, we've had plans to do one for a little while. Yeah. To be honest with you, our problem, and it's not a bad problem, um, is that we essentially are at capacity constantly um, for beers uh, in tank at the moment. So with our growing core range sales, as well as just the limiteds, um, there's really not a lot of room to slot them in. And yeah. Mystery Beer is a fun project, but mm. the demand for other beers has sort of outweighed it. Um, and again, it's just one of those things like... As a brewery, we do a lot. 
Um, we're mm. constantly doing promotions. We're constantly doing different ideas and campaigns, things like that. Distribute takes a lot behind it. Um, it's definitely something that we're going to bring back again. We did have a chat about it probably last year. Um, it's kind of the biggest sale, uh, stitch up for a salesperson in the world, though, because essentially we are then forced to go out to market and sell a beer, and we have we we genuinely cannot tell you anything about it. Um, I did not realize that when I conceived the idea. That then when I had to action the sale, and people were like, "Well, what is it?" and I go, "I, I don't know." Well, what style? I, I don't know. And because I'm not, I was in the brewery when it was packaged. What color? Oh, I don't know. Um, but he gave me your money. Uh, so I do. Th- I do think. There's probably, you know, there's probably scope in 2023 for it to return. Mm. I like the, I like the fact that you don't know. And like, I, I, yeah, it, because it appeals to a certain audience and a certain style of person, I suppose. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's fascinating. And I'm going to, I'm going to steal Muggs's question because it seems. No, 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 no. Let him have your, let him have your audience. All right. All right. Fine. He, all right. <laughs> But it's a good one and it's appropriate for now. So stay tuned if you're listening to the podcast because it's it makes <laughs> this bit. Um oh, that's terrific. So mystery be a good chance to come back. I think so, yeah. I mean it is a pet project for me, so um I might just shoehorn it in for my own personal sake. Excellent. Excellent. Can I ask a question before we move on to some of the audience questions? We've got some rippers coming in here uh, on the chat, so make sure everyone you type your questions in there. Um, can I ask why these flavours particularly were suited to the imperial sort of level, and why you chose, you know, yep, that sort so of level of alcohol to sort of sit with with this sort of flavour, understanding the the ethos of the idea behind the the flavours themselves? Yeah. So. Um unexpectedly uh, maybe for most people I, I definitely would have had a different impression but lemon myrtle and water seed on their own are actually quite strong flavor profiles themselves lemon myrtle in particular is very lemony um so we hadn't actually you know it's one of those things that sometimes it's the it's the you know um cup for the horse kind of concept we hadn't done an imperial sale before we're constantly looking at what have sales haven't we done what's what's relevant in market so we'd never done you know a big boozy sour that was something we sort of put on a, the dartboard and said let's let's hit that and then we had really sort of moved away from outside of stouts doing anything pastry we hadn't done anything oat cream we hadn't done any milkshake rpas none of those sort of things so we were we kind of had this little slot in time where we're like well this might work imperial sour pastry on it um and then one of the things i guess the benefits and this is coming directly from our brewer um as he described to me today when it's seven and a half seven point seven percent You've got more body, you've got more room, you've got more ability to actually punch those flavors. So this beer is a 4% beer. You would have really had to pull back the lemon myrtle. You would have had to pull back the wattle seed. So it just wasn't too much. Um, the balance of this is the flavors are so strong, you need a big base. So it was kind of two things. It was, we wanted to make this style and then it fits a concept of a flavor profile we to have. Like the lemon poppy seed uh, concept wasn't wasn't developed as I want a lemon lemon poppy seed sour. It was a lemon poppy seed beer, and then I was like, okay, well, how do we how do we find the right uh, product for that, the right style for that, and then it sort of evolves into that. So sometimes in this creative process, it's about amalgamating a few different things together and then finding that sort of natural um, unit like unity. It's fascinating because I think in one sense that sort of answers my question even more fully than I could have thought at the beginning because. 
Anytime I've ever eaten wattle seed or tasted wattle seed, is either ground into a flour where it's a fair, effectively a fairly benign sort of taste, or literally one or two poppy seed, uh, poppy seeds, wattle seeds in my mouth. Um, yeah. I don't think of it being that full on a flavour, and clearly I'm wrong. I'm happy to say it. Yeah, well, it's funny because as I was talking to a to reader, Habro, today um, about this beer, one of the things that he said to me was, you know, lemon myrtle is a pretty um, easily procured product. Um, there's a lot of it out there. There's commercial producers and, um, you know, it's not hard to find. Wattle seed on the other side of it, not so much. So wattle seed tends to be um, something that is, you know, sort of wild foraged. Um, it's not seemingly have any commercial growers i can't say that for a fact but um from what he was saying and the um research he did he couldn't find anyone so you're then going to you know bush tucker shops or hufford stores that might have it so i think because it's not widely available um the usage of it probably varies and the um intensity of it in food is probably minimal just because if you can't get it all the time you're not utilizing it quite often um you know, I, I personally don't know if I've seen restaurants utilising it before and that might just be a case of you can't guarantee you have it all the time, you can't build recipes or dishes around it, so. Mm, yep, yep. I've, yeah, that's why I feel like too. So it's pretty impressive that you've actually kind of scrounged up enough to, to make this work. Um, oh, no, it's, I always go ask a question, but David looked like he had a better one to ask. Well, I was going to start to throw to audience questions and because I thought Mark's audience question followed on really logically. So, Mark, you're out of the sin bin, mate. You're back on the field. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Dave. Yeah, I yeah, I understand that I did stuff up. Yeah. Not to ask too many questions but, um, <laughs> when the recording has been turned off. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks, Evan and, and Clint, um, for, for your time. It's been sensational. Um, yeah. She's exporting to um, Arab nations. You're doing a great job, Evan. But that's not my question. We're not there yet. We'll, we'll, we'll follow up in 12 months and see. But that's not my question. Anyway, I'm just adding to the discussion what we're just talking about. Um, in regards to native and bush ingredients, um, what, what sort of process and research and journey do you have to go through to select what works and what doesn't and, and so forth? So, yeah, yeah. I'll let, so let this is really... This is really one of those ones where I guess probably comes down to our brewer in particular. Um, and uh, even recently we've been having conversations about um, he's, he, he's currently um, making the trip over to WA um, and uh, relocating. So we've, we've got a new head brewer joining us. And um, that's a way to part of that. Oh, hold on. That's yeah. huge news. What? Uh, we, we, we've advertised for a new. Uh, Head brewer, so I, I can't imagine. You know, we, we haven't argued too too much. No, he's um he, he's he's making a sea change. Um, and as part of that, you know, we've, we've already got someone coming in, and and um, we've been discussing, you know, what that will look like and the releases that will will follow on from there. One of them being um Navipa, which is our hop harvest beer, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we're the closest uh, located to the Ross Trevor hop fields. So when the fresh hops come, we genuinely are the closest, and we get them the earliest. Uh, Every brewery tends to do a hop harvest beer. It's, it's very much, you know, you sort of know the time of year because they all start pouring out. A few years ago, we began thinking, you know, the beer itself would always change and it wasn't very stable. It was kind of, you know, the whim of the brewer, what, that, what they would use the hops in that year. Um, and uh, Reed decided that he wanted to 
basically showcase uh, the Alpine Valley, the area itself, and only use the ingredients around. So taking those fresh hops that were uniquely ours, that were so close to where we are, you get a taste of the Northeast, and then uh, going out and he uh, he's a forager. So that's, that's something that he really enjoys to do. He would go and forage native ingredients. Uh, so that's a beer now that we're having a discussion about because I'm new brewer and I had a forage. And if he does, can he do it at the same level or does that beer need to develop mm-hmm. and change? Um, and that's primarily what drove, you know, the use of these uh, elements in this beer is that it's something that uh, Reed really enjoys. Um, you know, it's very, uh, I, I, from my understanding at home, these are the kind of things that he's utilizing in his, his home cooking and all his weird different things that he's fermenting and um, all those crazy sort of things that brewers do. So I guess that's really where that's driven from. Um, you know, ideally we'd be using, using them a lot, but I think you need a steady hand that understands the flavor profile and what they're doing with them rather than just throwing them in there because it's already, it's already difficult enough to produce new beers all the time with the minimal amount of R&D you can really do in craft beer when you're sort of bringing out at such a rapid pace. Um, so to go and take a punt on a, a bush item that you've never used before you don't understand, that, that's that's probably difficult for most breweries. So that's really where that's been driven from for both this style and other beers that we've done in the past. Should we um should we give Reed a plug on his uh, sea change? Where's where's he headed in terms of brewing? Do you know? Does he know what's going on? I believe he knows. Um, I I have not uh, believe it that he to discuss. Ah, yeah, great. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's his story, and that's great. That you know, that I don't I don't believe it. I don't believe he's keeping it a tightly guarded secret. But um. Yeah, yeah that's his, probably more. That's probably more at him to make that call than me. That's fair <laughs> enough, and I and I love the seven fifty seven scoop being balanced by the eight o'clock anti scoop. Yeah, shutting down the scoop, and I love the fact he's like it's the quintessential tree change to end up in bright. Like what comes after that? It is. It's. It's. I. Uh, I just. He's a nomadic man. Um, he, oh, I don't hang on! Any... I can read into that. I've read Sierra Radio. That's a <laughs> no. I don't believe he's lived. I don't believe he's lived anywhere more than about five years. Um, no. So uh, he's lived around. He's lived everywhere. To be honest with you, I mean, he's the only person I know who has a story about being chased by a bear while foraging huckleberries. Um, <laughs> it's you know you you just can't keep the man down. He's just gonna no. he's gonna move. So um, huckleberries aren't real. Apparently, they are. Snozberries are real too, um, but uh, maybe again in twelve months we'll uh, maybe we'll be looking at a very different slate of beers and mm. a new brewer's approach to these things as well. So, Excellent. is that fun for the organisation? Like, is that you know genuine? Not anything against Reid or you know his legacy, but is it sort of fun to think of new things around? I think you know it's it's a double edged sword where um, you're sad to lose someone you have a lot of trust in, and and we've often you know I, I've said this as a salesperson. Um, I don't question our product because I know the quality and that's definitely a hard pill to swallow um, because we've worked together for four years. It's a great relationship. I think it's very collaborative, um, but I don't behoove someone moving on. I mean, it's craft beer. We've all done it. I think the excitement now comes from, you know, we, we have someone new coming in who uh, is incredibly passionate um, and really invested in our brewery. Um, so much so I think this is the, like the third attempt of some kind to work in some capacity over, you know, the course of almost 10 years. Um, so 
that's exciting. And I, and I think there's an element there of um, what's going to come next and what different ideas might come in and the evolution. As a brand, we've evolved so much over years. Um, but from the first podcast to where we are now with you guys, it's been a very big transition. But we've been going for 16 years. This will be yet another regime change in brewing, which naturally happens. And I think, and I'm hopeful what we'll see is a new take on what we do and, you know, just just something a bit new and fresh and, and different. And it's not a critique of Reed that we don't have that because he's been making amazing new beers all the time. Um, but you never know what crazy mind someone else is going to have. Mm. Yeah, great call. Great call. We've got mugs lined up for a question. We might have one or two spots left after that. So if you're here in the, the Zoom room, now's the time to type your question into the chat. And Mr. Muggs, are you ready to unmute and ask your question, mate, about um, this is the one that I cut Mr. Warren from uh, from stealing from you before. So make sure it's good. Ah, oh, I hope so. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, my question is just regarding the um, the High Country collab beer, the um, Rule 47, whether that's you, there's any hot goss or whether that's going ahead again this year. Maybe? Yeah, so... A hundred percent. It'll go ahead again. It's a yearly release from us. Um, I need to check whose turn it is. So um, again, for the unaware, Rule 47 is a collaboration between the high country brewers in Victoria. Um, I think there's six or seven of us that uh, partake. Mm. And essentially we come together um, as a collective of the high country brewery trail. We brew a beer together and then uh, distribute it collectively. So it's, uh, it's just something that we do, I guess, to help, uh, spread the message of the beer in the area, everything about that as well. Every year, a different brewery takes on the production of that. It's it's a collaborative effort to decide on what the style will be and when the timelines will be and things like that. So in terms of what the beer will be and when it will be, I cannot tell you. Um, it's typically a secret to me up until the day it gets packaged um, because more often than not, it's, uh, it's the brewery owners that go and decide and then uh, we find out afterwards. Uh, but... Yeah, it will happen again. I, I can't even think of how many years it's happened now. I think the only year we've missed as a collaborative effort was 2021, where we actually did a, a collaborative pack of beer that went um, just for the COVID sort of time frame. I think there was some difficulty at the time to come together. I think we were probably illegal. It would have been illegal for us to come together and do a, a brew day. Um, so we did a collaborative pack out. But this year we did a, a Pilsner, which is very on trend for uh, 2022. If you told me two years ago Pilsner would be a trend, wouldn't have picked it. Um, but yeah, it'll it'll definitely come back. Excellent, thank you. Awesome. We've got Mark lined up with another question, and then I think it might be time for Mr. Warren Wu to take over with a couple of questions. So, Mark, fire away with your question, mate. It's another ripper. Yeah, yeah cheers, mate. Um, yeah, I sort of touched on it before uh, with, with your work um, exporting. Um, mm -hmm. How different? How different is it um, selling your your product um, overseas? one so internationally yeah. but also to non-drinking arab nations and so forth like is it different labels and 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 themes and so forth yeah so we're just going down the rabbit hole i guess of um the wider style of things that i mentioned at the start the markets that we're currently exporting to um have probably got a an established craft beer base so in terms of product expectation and style preferences and things like that um they're um, probably more aligned than you would figure. I mean, New Zealand's obviously a pretty easy one. It's 
just like going across. It's, it's no different really than sort of going to Sydney um, in terms of what they're drinking and, and all this sort of thing. Um, what I've been surprised by with Hong Kong in particular has been their interest um, in a variety of styles. Um, sometimes we will we'll talk to different distributors and, you know, they'll be very adamant that they just want probably the quote-unquote hypey styles um, because that's the audience that they're going to in their market um, or they might just want hop-driven beers because that might be essentially what they're finding is um, in trend. For Hong Kong, we did a, a whole slew. We sent everything from um, Alpine Lager, which you guys got in your packet, to the Lemon Myrtle. Um, so there's a very wide brief uh, in terms of what they're after there. For the further nations, that's something we're still discovering. So there's different regulations, there's different interests, um, and it's a different brand proposition too. So, you know, for what we might be representing our, our product and our brand in for, say, you know, the, the UK um, where we have something like Bright Pale, which we feel is a real quintessential Australian beer. It's, it's very much a product that probably isn't replicated over there, not brewed over there to that style. It's something that is specific and um, devised by our, our own industry. That might be our proposition where, um, you know, if we go to I don't know, the UAE, inevitably, it might be that there, it's a really um, affluent clientele base and they want to try really interesting product. And that you can't really tell. And it, quite often it's going to be decided from the distributor over there and who their, who their audience is. Um, in terms of packaging and regulations, all different some of them want stickers some of them might want new labels some of them do not care um hk did not care about any changes in labeling which i thought was insane i actually it was actually harder to get stuff to new zealand than it was to hong kong um which was not the experience we thought we would have um but it's, it's a completely different world and it's, it's something we're only just sort of developing now Great answer. And look, we've got one more quick audience question before I throw to uh, Mr. Wu. Uh, other David, would you like to ask your question, brother? <laughs> Good on you, David. Uh, look, thanks, Evan, and thanks, Clinton. Um, I just wanted to uh, really compliment you on the spicy beagle. And um, it, it uh, even I've had the imperial pastry sour since then, but even, even so, the chilli is still pleasantly still bumping around my mouth. Um, I just wanted to lobby, I guess, for chili beers. Um, <laughs> that, you know, there were the comments earlier about how jalapeno and uh, mango complement each other. And I know with, you know, pizzas, fresh chili and pineapple work superbly together. Could, could I lobby? We used to, in the old days, uh, Stolichnaya, from uh, Russia used to make a chili vodka. Um, I think Absolute for a while had a chili vodka. They're damned hard to find. Um, there's a chili <laughs> vodka out of France, but again, it's obscure and hard to find. A chili beer, a dedicated chili beer, I have no doubt would find a loyal niche market. So all strength to you. Keep on doing what you're doing. But my is that a question, David? I'm not sure it's a, a, it's a more statement. I think. Rioli here. I think it, I'll take that as a comment. <laughs> you, you can make you can make the beer hotter. The hotter, the better. Good on well, you. I'll dump um, I'll dump Clint on this one. Um, maybe a chili cocktail can, Clint. I don't know. Is that uh, chili mojito? Is that? <clears throat> yeah, for Ooh. sure. As I, as I said, I'm a, I'm in your camp, David. Uh, chili and beers is good. Uh, I think you guys did the um, the mole uh, stout last year, which had a bit of did actually, yeah, chili in yeah. there as well. 
which was good. Um, with this one, I'm sure you've mentioned it before, but it was um, Bird's Eye Chilies, which went in um, to this one. And that, I selected that just because I hadn't seen Bird's Eye used in it before and was interested to see how it would um, come across. And uh, I think it's come across perfectly and, and works really well with the, the mango and the wine too. Um, I think you did pitch uh, peach and habanero as another one as well. Oh, yeah. That would, that would be fascinating. I think, yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense, especially in the deep south kind of peaches. And, mm, um, and if uh, and David Craig Mama suggests uh, Pimento is a company that do a ginger, a spicy ginger beer. Uh, and it comes in like 200 mil bottles. It is just incredible with it. it I think Matzo's does a chili beer, or they used to do a chili beer. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I was just going to throw in Evan. Have we ever asked you the? I'm sure we've asked you the traditional cool room question. You, you have, um, and I was trying to wreck my brain today to think of anything. Yeah, more. Um, I mean, nothing has happened in the last 12 months in the courtroom. I'm, I'm sorry. I just haven't oh. been them now, around them enough as of, uh, as of recent. Um, no, I, I honestly, the only thing I can probably think of is um, maybe about uh, probably the last year, uh, I was in the courtroom at the brewery at one point and one of our gas tanks had a, a bit of a malfunction um, and essentially what sounded like, so, something came off and essentially what sounded like a bullet being shot about three centimetres from my head uh, happened. Um, so I might have been in the courtroom crying post that um, in fear of my life. Uh, but, no, I think the, the most confronting thing I saw, like it was actually it was probably the bright moment where we do, as a team, um, salami day. Uh, everyone gets together and makes salamis. Uh, prior to that, they bring the pigs in. Uh, so there's one day over the courtroom. We had overflow. They went to the keg courtroom instead. Pigs, just pigs. And you know, when you're not expecting to open a cool room, just like a cool room door and just see a pig and just hang it from a hook because you've never seen it in the cool room before, you do sort of get taken back a little bit. Did you cry that day as well? No, I didn't, no. Um, I did, though, have to take uh, a pig from... I got married at the brewery, actually, um, and... Part I, don't of like where, I don't like the setup for this story. Can I just say, No, so I'm just, this has come to my mind from the pig. Um, the day afterwards, we had a recovery day, and uh, as custom in my wife's family, they do a, a pig on the spit for everyone to come and enjoy with some more beers. Um, I utilised the brewery cool room for the pig, um, but then I had to pick it up the morning of to get it ready. Grabbed the pig, big pig, had 100 people, had to have enough. Walked out the front of the brewery, uh pig starts to you know eventually essentially get hot things that blood starts dripping out of it um the person who was meant to be driving me back to where the pig was being cooked disappeared so i just stood outside the brewery for probably the better part of five to ten minutes with just a dead pig in my arms um which probably wasn't a great uh look for the business um but definitely one of the more interesting things when i just started walking around the side of the beer garden looking for my friend to get in the car and eventually take this pig away um, the, on a side note about things that go wrong in a cool room, um, so in the Bright Water Park, which is yep. cheap for kids, there's this <laughs> thing that dumps like there's this like dump truck front which drops a ton yep. of water on it. Yeah, uh, have you ever stood under that? Of course, I have. Oh, great, yeah, yeah, because I've always wondered. 
Do adults get in there? Or is, I've always, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, adults get in there knowingly and occasionally unknowingly, which is quite funny because it takes some time to fill up. Um, yeah. And they might just be playing in the park with their children and not understand that all of a sudden just a giant volume of water is going to drop from above them. Um, so that's a really sweet spot when you might just happen to be walking down and be like, I don't think that bloke knows. And you just linger a little bit longer on your walk to see whether or not it's just going to hit him from behind. I would, oh, geez, I'd love to see that. Because most of the people, whenever <laughs> I've seen it, I've, the people have been knowing, but it's kind of cool when, when you see it kind of just dribbling over the top and there's just a few drops and then suddenly this enormous waterfall sort of, yeah, uh, sad but lovely. Um, Evan, I think this is a good chance to say thank you very much for for joining us again and it's great to see to hear about the the journey that that um bright brewery is on that long kind of winding journey and seeing where where you guys are at it's it's amazing that you've been around for so long doing such great things so thank you very much for for joining us and yeah hopefully we'll see you we'll hear from you in another year with a whole bunch of other great things and a new um, job um, yeah we'll, we'll see what we can come up with now i, I I've got to figure out what I can extend it by one more time. <laughs> to the moon and beyond. <laughs> now, nah, thank you guys for having me. Um, it's always great. Uh, it's awesome to, I guess, you know, be able to come back and revisit 12 months later and, and talk about the things that we've been doing. And, um, you know, for a, a brewery and a, a business and a brand that's been operating now since 2006, um, there's so many changes in that time frame. But even the past few years, um, just as the world's changed and everything's sort of moved around us. Um, really proud of where we've, we've been. And yeah, I think we've, we've every year we come back and we've got something different to show you guys, which is great to see. And, you know, next year we'll have a new brewer on board and let's, uh, maybe we can, we can have a look at what beers we're, we're drinking then. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All shanties. Yeah, all the shanties. Thanks, Evan. Thanks a lot. Thanks guys.